You're listening to the Circling Wizardry Podcast, a show about circling for circlers. In each episode, I'll be talking with teachers and practitioners who are bringing circling into the world. If you're not familiar with circling, please hit pause and Google what is circling before you continue. I'm your host and founder of the School of Circling Wizardry, Josh Stein. Learn more about me at circlingwizardry.com about. Today, I'm back with Guy Singstock. Guy is one of the original founders of Circling, which he discovered 20 years ago at Burning Man, and he has been facilitating deep relating and transformation ever since. He is also the co-founder of the Circling Institute in San Francisco, which runs six-month in-person facilitator training. You can check him out in the Circling Institute at circlinginstitute.com. In part two of this interview, we talk about bringing circling into the world one conversation at a time. Bringing back to one of the things that I think that you felt so moved by at the talk, right, was that that I do feel, I do feel that it is about, you know, having really, really profound conversations with people, right? And profound not just in topic and what we talk about, but profound in the level of relatedness um, that set, can set a precedence for people, right? <laughs> Normal conversations for me have become less satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, less satisfying. And in normal conversations, I think for me, um, have become more opportunities. <laughs> Tell me about and, that, because I, I have a hunch about that. Yeah, I was just thinking about the last time I, I was on the plane. I feel I feel sorry for sometimes with the people if I'm a, if I happen to be in a pretty extroverted mood, which I'm not always, right? But I feel sorry for the guy who sits next to me sometimes. <laughs> they get interested and they're like locked in the plane for me for six hours. But it was um, there was a. Uh, this really great guy. Um, who basically, for all intents and purposes, does this particular kind of um, it's it's not it's not using like like where you go, what is the gliding when you go off the cliff paragliding right? or paragliding or I don't know the right word. Yes, yeah, this thing that's like it's you know it's it, you gotta you know it's got a lot of precision. So you go off a cliff and then you glide down the mountain, mm -hmm. right? But it's a, the, the form he does is illegal in the in the United States, from what he said. And it's where all the, all he has are these like wings. Oh, those body suits with the yeah. Yeah. Wow. Have you seen that? Before? I saw a, a video of that once that blew my mind. Yeah. Totally. He was one of those guys, hmm. and a, he mentioned it, and I was just like, I was so struck by what that was about for him and we started to get into conversation and essentially what I start what I found out is that 
he had lost one. He's like, he says, like, first of all, you, you develop relationships with people that you do that with that are unlike anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, he said all other relationships in my life, I used to think that I had friends. Um, and now I realize that like, that I didn't have friends. Apparently part of the way that that works is that you develop, I forget the word that he uses, but you, but you go and you, you have to measure in some way and track the run that you do. Mm. Right. And if you don't, if you miss it by an inch, you can splat right against the rock. Cause oh. it's just, yeah. yeah. And so I want to let you continue that story in a moment, but I'm just struck by his candidness sharing about, you know, the quality of his relationships. It seems like a, what for most people would be a very personal thing to share with a stranger on a plane. And it had me wondering if there was something about your curiosity that brought out that, that candor in him. And it also yeah. had me wonder if like for you, people just, cause you've been doing this for so long if people just seem more candid to you than to others. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what he actually ended up saying at the end of it was, I think addressing what you're actually pointing to. Um, is essentially what I ended up finding out is that five of his best friends died, oh. right, from this. And and a couple of them died from runs that he had done, oh. but they didn't do the measuring themselves like they were supposed to. They just relied on what he had said. And apparently it's this one thing where you need to really do your due diligence. And he was just and as he started talking about that he just started to like get in touch with the pain of that right because it just so weighed heavy on his conscience right and and i could i mean i could deeply appreciate that and so i was just i was just really with him and crying with him and Mm. pain and and at a certain point, he's like, he turns to me and he's like, I've never told anybody any of this. It was almost like as he, as, as if he kind of came to, and he's like, I've just sat next to this guy and I've just basically shared the most intense part of my life with you. He's like, well, I thought that no one, I, I thought that the only people that could understand me were people who did that, which there's only a handful of them in the world. And... And that, that really struck me. That, re- that really struck me. One, I was just touched and moved that I got to have that experience with him. But then we ended up having a conversation about how that happened. And it was really cool because he got really interested about, like, how did you, as he would put it, how did you do that? Like, mm-hmm. and like he could tell that you were, I, I hate to say doing something because it's not exactly true. Yeah. It's, it's a, but I, it sense that something was different. Yes. Yes. There was a way that I paid attention to him. Yeah. And cause, and this is what I've been, I, I've been using the word listening because I, I, I've been starting to distinguish that there's something so deep and primary about what it is to really listen. And by that, I don't mean what we normally like, like talk about is active listening but it's listening to not just what somebody says, but, but listening to like 
being interested in what even has them say that, right? Like what, I was like, what is it? And this is what I kept asking him about. It's like, what, like what would, what would have you even consider doing something like, like that? Like who, who must you be to have that experience? Yeah. And, and, and in a certain sense, he wasn't, he wasn't telling me that with his words. Mm. But on another level, he was revealing himself with those words. And so I could hear the subtext of it. And then I would just ask him about the subtext of it. Yeah. And like, as he did, it would be, there was these little moments of Aletheia where he's like, oh, I felt seen or I felt heard or something like that. And if he's like, yeah, and at least in that case, he was, he was like, oh, well, this is what it's like. And he went into the measurements and I was like, oh, so it's like, a, you know, it's about, it's about flying or is it about preparing? He's like, oh, I never really thought of it. No, it seems to be. And, and I just kept like, you know, and at a certain point, the conversation just goes on its own. And there's that inner subjective yeah. thing that happens where it feels like we're both being created by the dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I have more questions. Mm-hmm. So that that sort of brings me to my interest in, like, for myself and, like, eventually or soon, like, helping other people access this, this, for lack of a better word, way of being mm-hmm. that we call circling um, and bringing it into our lives, like, not just in circling environments, but actually bringing it to people who matter to us and even people who, you know, we meet at a, at a coffee shop or on an airplane. Um, I am, I do not know myself to be the kind of person who starts a conversation with someone on an airplane. In fact, I'm the kind of person who, if someone tries to speak to me, I will, um, maybe pretend that I'm not listening or I will, I will, I will, maybe unconsciously, I suspect unconsciously, try and find a way to end the conversation very quickly or, you know, give very short answers or pretend that I'm occupied with something else because I think it's just, you know, for my anxiety or or something is just so overwhelming to be um, looked at by a stranger Mm. Mm. or or something intrusive perhaps and that's probably a whole rabbit hole to go down. But like, I guess, well, I'm I'm in this curiosity and this inquiry of like, what does it take as though there's something that you have to do, but I'll just ask it that way. Like, what does it take Mm -hmm. to have people feel so comfortable opening up with you assuming, and I'm assuming that people just feel comfortable like strangers people who you're not like formally circling strangers just feel comfortable opening up with you. Is it like, are you, do you find yourself ever like talking to people like me who just kind of try and not want to have a conversation with you and then you just ignore it and nothing happens? Or like, what is your, Mm. what is your experience of interacting with strangers? Mm. (laughs) It's a great question. It's a great question. It's, well, a couple of things. Um, I don't always do that, um, and it and it really, it really does seem to, with strangers, anyways. When I'm leading a course or I'm leading a circle or something like that, like it, it 
if I feel like it can access that that way of being, if you want to call it that, right away. Um, but it depends on like if I don't have enough sleep or I'm in a bad mood, the last thing I want to do is have anybody pay attention to me or me pay attention to them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just – because I think it's – in a certain sense, it really is something to – face somebody and in the dialogue with them. I mean, I think it's, you know, on a certain level, I think that there's something really about our nervous systems that we were, I think we were meant to just only know about 150 people at once. Mm. And so it's a trip already to live in a world, you know, with, was it 8 billion strangers? And that's a whole thing in itself of that, you know, each time if I, if I meet somebody that I don't know, um, well, actually it's also true. If I meet somebody that I know really well, I'm basically stepping into like a pure kind of ambiguity. Like there's a world of chaos, you know, you are a world of chaos, right? Like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. So there's this quality of, of, of anything can happen. And I think that there's to various degrees with different people. I think it, that breaking that, you could say the sound barrier or the, Mm. the other barrier, right. Um, it takes something. And I think that there's a big part of our nervous system that is, is, does, does not like that at all, you know, to various degrees, you know? So, but, I think that when I'm resourced and I'm well fed and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a good place. I, I, I have more of a sense of the ability to know, like have control over where my attention goes. And when that happens, it's, it seems to be more about like finding myself just interested in them and, uh, and following that interest. Right. Um, and doing things like noticing things that they do that just catch my attention, either in conversation or things that they do that I notice and just like ways that they are that um, they don't have to be. But that there's some, you know, that something that just. <laughs> mm-hmm. And people just I've, I found that in general, people really like that. People really like that because we're all doing stuff all the time, right? We're all doing stuff all the time that we don't have to do. Um, and I think that like every action that we all take, you know, even like micro actions are revealing about presuppose that something's important to us. And so you could almost take any movement of the face or any kind of twitch of the eye or any movement like if you really follow that thread all the way back that you're going to find that a human, there's a human being who has a heart and who cares about things, um, who has like a, who has dreams, whose heart's been broken, who's going to die and probably has mixed feelings about it. Mm. <laughs> so I don't need, I don't know exactly how to do that, but I think that what I can say is, is it has to do with, um, me having a say so over where my attention goes. Hmm. And that has to do with how resourced you feel. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. I, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had experiences, rare experiences, but I've had experiences where I've just, for some reason, I'm just really lit up and feeling really safe within myself and I'm out in the world and I'm like smiling at strangers and saying hi to people. And for me, this is unusual for other people. This might be common. And sometimes I start a conversation with someone on a rare occasion, but like I've had those experiences of just that openness, that safety, that love for life or something. Yeah. That openness and that safety. Um, I just noticed I'm, I'm finding myself like I'm more inch. I, like I just find myself, I'm more interested in you just having that mm. more often. Yeah. Um, me too. <laughs> and it does seem, you know, that you said safety. I think that it does have something to do with the felt sense of safety. Felt sense, yeah. And it's interesting because that's a big, it's a big thing that's talked about, like in, in the circles of circling, um, I think talked about in ways that I don't know if I completely jive with. Mm. Like people saying, this doesn't feel safe to me, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's arguable, but I think it doesn't make that much sense to look at safety as like a state that I'm in. But because people can feel safe in some of the strangest places, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. Right. It can feel unsafe in some of the most in my world, like some of the most safest places. Yeah. So it seems like it, it seems to me that safety is more like a skill. It's more like a skill. Mm. I think I've heard you say this before. Yeah. 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 I'm recognizing more and more like un- uncoupling my my felt sense of safety from the circumstance, because ultimately I'm not in some ways, ultimately, I'm very safe, and ultimately, I'm very not safe. Like, you know, an asteroid could come in, and, you know, I could die in two minutes from now. Mm. Um, you know, so many things could happen, and so many mm. things that I imagine could happen will probably never happen. Yeah, totally. But it's, it's a, if you really think about it, it's kind of a bloody miracle that, like, that we're not anxious all the time. <laughs> If you think about it, it's it's interesting because it's like how Jordan Peterson puts this. He's he's like he he says, um, you know, science asks the wrong question. They ask questions like why are we anxious, right? Or why don't we do why you know why why do people use cocaine or various things? And he's like, well, look, we know exactly why people use cocaine. Because when they snort this thing, for they get all the benefits, right, of like of of being able to feel as good as possible without any like without having to work at it. We know exactly why people, do, you know. <laughs> it's like the, the real question is: is how come there's ever a point where people aren't using cocaine? Cocaine. <laughs> That's the real question. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with anxiety too, yeah. right? Because think about like. I don't know what's going to happen and think about all the things that I know about that I wouldn't want to have happen. And then there's also the category of everything that I don't know that I don't know about that could happen. <laughs> the real question is how do I have one moment where I'm not just quaking in my boots? <laughs> yeah. The, right? the, the answer that like, there's an answer that comes to me immediately and it's like, well, we you know, like humans, we wouldn't be able to function 
we wouldn't really be able to, you know, have lives. We definitely wouldn't, I don't think we'd be able to enjoy them. Like there's something so important to me that, or that seems so important about my ability to one function in life and two, my ability to enjoy my life, which is not a necessity from a biological standpoint, but maybe on a deeper level it is. But my felt sense of safety, regardless of my circumstances, dictates so much about, you know, how well I function and how much I enjoy my life and my relationships. Right. That is something really critical to me about that. Yeah, totally. What is that difference? What Do you have a sense of, like, what makes the difference? Uh, what do you mean between feeling safe and unsafe? Yeah, just basically, like, you having more, what did you say, like, enjoying your life mm-hmm. and not enjoying your life. Feeling safe and not feeling safe. Do you, do you have a sense of it? Yeah, I've, I've contemplated this, actually based on something that you said in a podcast that I listen, another podcast that I heard you in um, about relationship and about how, you know, when you're triggered with your partner, mm. you know, you have no curiosity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you had said some more about this, but it, it brought me to this whole inquiry about the relationship between safety and curiosity. Mm. And it was something like safety begets openness, openness begets, curiosity in a short way of putting it um there's something that happens when my physiology um when my physiology is on alert um i'm tense i'm closed and my energy my my resources are dedicated towards protection and therefore i think not available for for other things yeah totally when I'm when I feel physiologically quote unquote safe, I relax, and for some reason I start to feel what we call open, or more open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not sure why, but that openness is like the source of to me. It's the source of all the good things in life, and also all the good things in circling. In relationship. Totally. Yeah, totally. And that's one of the things I really like about circling because I think it's, you know, it's, it's founding really sits on, on one level, you could say that it's a practice of, of, of deepening interest and curiosity. Mm. It's, it's, the, it's hard to think about circling without that. Without interest and curiosity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to it's hard to imagine for me circling without that as 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 a, as as one of the foundations. Yeah, um, I want to do the thing of where I like give you a chance to like promote yourself very like briefly, like you know if people wanted to. So maybe I'll just ask. Um, so I want to ask two things. Actually. Yeah. So first, um, what are you most excited about right now in in your life it's circling that you're working on or moving mm-hmm. towards yeah well we have just changed the structure of the artist circling 
which I'm really excited about, um, to going back to a retreats where circling grew up, um, going back to a retreat kind of setting, mm-hmm. which would be three five day intensives. And I'm, I'm so stoked about it. Like being able to be in that environment, the contained environment where we just dive in deeper and deeper and deeper. That's where I grew up. I mean, those are the, that environment is, is where I learned so much. So I'm, I'm really stoked about, about being able to play that way again with people. Mm. Um, I'm also just stoked about how much circling seems to be this emergent phenomena in the world. It, it really is an emergent thing. That's what, one of the reasons why I trust it so much. Mm. And so I, and I think, I think in some ways, I think in some ways it's almost like it's an antidote to, to the hyper technology kind of context that we, I, I have a feeling like none of us really understand how deeply our minds are structured because of, in terms of technology, um, that because circling is so relationally focused explicitly, um, and technology kind of takes us away from. It seems like there's this polar. It, it's occurring to me yeah. there's this polarity that's emerging in this day and age. Yeah. And technology totally. is one end of the pole, and then this circling and these other relational things that are emerging are the other. Yeah. Pole totally. that are almost is almost necessary, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I. I have this feeling that I almost, I don't know if this is actually true, but it seems to me that where it can, if, te- if, the, if technology, as Heidegger would say, collapses distances, paradoxically making, like making, as you would say, being further and further away, um, relationship seems to me to be about, it does not seem to be about convenience or collapsing distances. It, it it seems to be about about discomfort, right? It seems to be about like actually I don't know who you are. Like I I don't know what you're gonna say. I don't know if this will be a good connection or a bad connection. <laughs> if if it's if anything, you're not information. I don't know you through being informed by you. Um. And I think we live in a world that progressively transforms the world into information that's most easily consumed by our um, by our mind, um, versus actually kind of confronting the utter complexity of reality. <laughs> and I think that the most I oftentimes imagine that the most vulnerable place um, in in the cosmos that I can tell, anyways seems to be the human face and Mm. and specifically the retina of the eye. It's like, you know, loosely speaking, if the big bang happened and it, and it happened and it went into, you know, into entropy and slowed down and cooled down. And then this little thing called earth and then this other little thing happened to happen and boom, life is formed. And then entropy, it de-entrification happens. And, And we think about that as maybe the second big bang and it starts to evolve all the way up to this point where it's kind of like 
the human, you know, the human being maybe is like the, the place where we are the occasion where all that is took a very limited conscious view of itself, <laughs> like a very limited view of itself and became something like aware of itself. And I think about, I think about the face, right? And it's specifically like the retina of the eye, these, this kind of place where there's, um, where I get to be kind of the site for a very early look of the universe taking a look at itself. And there's something so mysterious to me that when two faces meet, um, so much can happen. So much can happen. And, uh, so that to me is like, I'm very, 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 very interested in that. I'm also excited about my company's doing great. And I think we're going to rock the world. And, you know, we're talking to, um, teachers and educators and, mm. and, you know, getting, getting this way of relating, you know, in companies and yeah. in education. And as you were saying, you know, talking to really, really deep, big change makers and having them get a taste of what's possible. Because what I want to see is I want to see the presuppositions of circling um, emerge in the culture. Like, and in such a way that people don't even know about, don't even need to know about circling to start to kind of see yeah. that paradigm yeah. where they come from, you know? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So, Guy, if someone listening uh, wants to know more about you or get in touch with you, how can they do that? <laughs> <laughs> you can email me. A couple of things. You can email me at guysingstock at gmail.com and um, you can look up the website at, it's called circlinginstitute.com. And I would imagine you'll provide the links for all of yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, your yes. training, your upcoming training is when? It's, I believe the first retreat starts, I think it's, uh, in like second weekend of June. Cool. Yeah. It'll rock. And that's the other thing about the retreat is it, is it, there are skills in, in, in circling. Um, but like really circling requires the capacity to relate. And I think that we can only deepen capacity through growing, mm. transforming. Yeah. And so the course really is an experiential deep dive in yourself with other people. And that's what I'm most excited about, too. I love it. Right on, brother. Thanks for listening to the Circling Wizardry podcast. Learn more about Guy Sangstock and the Circling Institute at circlinginstitute.com. And check me out at circlingwizardry.com. And join the Circling Wizardry Facebook group to take part in one of my upcoming free trainings.